Dead Belt. True Tales of the Gasping Frontier is a space folk horror anthology podcast, and as such, may not be suited for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. I want to be mech cavalry if they send me off to war. I want a nuke steed under me like my forefathers before. Give me a 50-ton mount when the bugle sounds and the motto cannon roar. I want to be mech cavalry if I must go off to war. Give me the flank in a walking tank, we'll throttle up that dawn. Save for me a little gallantry that'll echo when I'm gone. And I beg of you, Cap, let my thunder clap when the battle lines is drawn. Let me at least give the weapons free, they'll remember loud and long. I'd not a good dirt slogger make, them guns is too small to start. And I'd be sick at the arrow jock stick, and for space I lack the heart. But I'll be first in line on the cockpit climb if you let me play my part. Lope into the fray and firing away like a violent work of art. Let me learn my name in the flash and the flame when the day is lost or won. Let me lead my lance where the titans dance and the gorbies fire their guns. Missiles agleam and a particle beam and the AC-10 a spun. Reactors burn and the dirt's upturn, let me be a mech cavalryman. Through teeth a clench, never gave an inch, you just plant me where I fall. Cause I won't be back in the mechs I'll scrap, but I know I gave my all. Yeah, I want to be mech cavalry if they send me off to war. I want to be mech cavalry, but I won't ride home no more. Yeah, and a lot of them Indies never did, you know. Ride home. Them that did, more than a few of them anyway, found all they brought on the road to the war they meant to win. But I didn't catch the ride home with them. Just memories. And ghosts. So I was talking to Doc Burrell down at the canteen, you recollect. The old sawbones might be the only soul on this bird who's been out here on the belt longer than I have. And he's seen his share of strangeness. Now you probably know his type. He's clipped and he's precise. And he's got a hangdog sort of dignity that holds up his lab coat even though his shoulders are slumped by the weight and the toll of the years out here on the float. He's a patron saint in the infirmary, though. Our merciful lord of the open fracture and the steady-handed suture. I ain't never seen him scared. But we turned in our ration cards and had ourselves a brew or two down there in the canteen, and he got talking about one of the boys he'd known back when he was plying his bloody trade under the flag of the Independence League. Back in the days of the consolidation. It was war stories and do-or-die stories until the name of Jesse Ford come up. Then the look of the good doctor changed to mine. See, he's got a dignity, our doc does, but it's not unfriendly. There's a shine in his eyes and a crinkling at the corners that speaks of a soul that was called to help keep flesh and soul together. It's the kind of 
I don't know, bonhomie that makes you think the man got into his line of work for the right reasons. But that wasn't what was showing under his beetle brows as he reached for the bulb of ship degreaser that we were splitting. That look was far away. Slack all taken out of the creases of his face. Haunted. Said I ever mentioned Jesse Ford, he asked. I told him he hadn't, and he pulled from the bulb direct light till it was empty. Just you go get another, he told me. And it went like this. So Jesse Ford was Metcalf in the war. Combat walkers, heavy fire support, always where the fighting's thickest. Working the yoke of 30, 40, 50 tons of armor and directing the interface point of just enough high-tech hate to boil lakes and pulverize a mountain. Badasses, you understand. You kind of have to be if you want to be Metcalf. See, there ain't no cover for Metcalf. You walk direct into enemy fire and trust that some lucky golden BB dunk core through something vital and punch your ticket clean. You're strapped into a coffin. Sitting with a lead diaper between you and a fusion reactor burning right under the rudder pedals like a star in chains. See, Doc Burrell says Jesse lived for it, though. Really believed in it, you know, down in his bones. No matter how many times he wound up with Doc treating his coolant burns or heat exhaustion or... Yeah, anyhow, no matter what happened, he'd tell the Doc, Nah, I can't sit this next sortie. I can't sit out. See, his Lance needed him. And he wasn't going to let him down. Well, the war let them all down, didn't it? Jesse lived through it all, see. Stephanie and Carson, Bixlam. Fought ship to ship at Condoraga, mag grapples and boarding action. Came through it all, got his walking papers, just go on home. But he ain't go home anymore than any of those friends he'd buried. The old words are still new anytime folk march off to war believe in the rightness and justice of their cause. And are still left to wonder why they lost it all anyway. You can't go home again. He was 19. So he come out here. Not at first, you understand. He bumped around and tried to find his feet again, but they were built for combat boots and rudder pedals now. <laughs> civilian life? What the hell did he know about civilian life? He lied about his age. Joined at 17. Not at first, but eventually he followed the rest of all the junk and all the wreckage of the consolidation, and he'd come out to the dead belt. Figured with nowhere else to be, still feeling invincible enough to put his life on the line on the daily, there was money to be made in scrap and salvage. The war had fed him those two long years, and like a crow hatched in the glare of oncoming fire and weaned on war spoils, he followed, ruin, out here into the black for his meal ticket. Jesse found that Belter life suited him just fine. He made a decent living at it, called no man master, saved the bank statement, gave him plenty of time to think. It was a day like any other when Jesse found the frigate. Scanner picked up the likely bird, still carrying some Atmo, showing enough EM activity to flag itself as one carcass not already buzzard picked. Ship that big. Whew, especially one that was still showing battery power, that's a rich prize. All manner of workings on a warbird slag themselves clean when they lose power for any length of time. Discourage borders, you understand. Deny enemies access to war material, that kind of thing. If it was still alive and kicking like the scanners indicated, Jesse had found himself the kind of payday that could set up a free agent like himself for a long time. Maybe forever. 
Jesse had no love for frigates, as a general rule. Not since Condoraga. But when you're on the drift, you can't much afford to be picky. He pushed his misgivings to one side, ignored the well-honed pinch of veteran of both combat and cackling cosmos with the practice that only comes of mountain desperation. Soft seal, said the green board as the docking clamp engaged. Hard seal, as the plaz torches cut and the magnetic grapples irised open to hold the gadfly Jesse's boat fast to the gently drifting giant. Jesse grabbed his needfuls, toting torch and tool bag, tank and carry-all to the aft lock. As he punched the button on the con panel to open the lock, his mind wasn't on scrap and salvage. He was thinking about the hatch that led to the gantry in the mech bay back at Condoraga. The ISS Bannockburn, the warbird that had carried him from Stephanie to Carson to Bixham and across the Corward Front, had had bays for a full mech cab company. In total, 18 of the walking war machines. And the pilot's walk, which led from the ready room to the crew hatches, was a thin metal grateway, which circled the bay and loomed 30 feet above the deck plates. On hot drops, the bays would be open, the mechs hanging in their cocoon slings over a yawning emptiness that made him queasy to look at over long. He swallowed that queasiness down as the hatch opened onto the scorched inner hull of the dead frigate. No metal grating, no drop into hostile fire, no wheeling stars off Condoraga, just good, solid, anti-spall decking under his boots. The fire and the fury was long behind him, near a year gone now. If he kept his head, he told himself, he might find the peace that they'd promised was waiting at the end of all those long days and nights and fighting retreats. Jesse stepped in and got to work. Scrubber on Jesse's back flashed a notification on his heads up. There was air. Some had vented during Jesse's hard knock there, and the sniffer was saying that it was full of the standard array of mil-spec lowest bitter volatiles, but it was air. The bird wasn't just lights on, it was still airtight. Or it would be until Jesse disengaged the belter pry bar hatch that he'd piloted like a harpoon into the poor old girl's midships. Why had this one gone to the belt? He cracked his hat and he took a lungful. Nostalgia's a weird human failing, ain't it? Anti-spall and deck wash, boot polish, lived-in air scrubbers, sweat, old coffee, disinfectant, M-rations, menthol, silicone grease, burnt electronics, half-recycled farts and fear. That smell was like coming home. Only it was like coming home and finding that not only had your room been turned into some hobby room, but your family had up and sold the joint anyhow. It was empty. Colder than he remembered. Sterile in the way of things long dead and mummified. But still, that nostalgia. He moved through the corridors. His footsteps, a careful, steady drum beat against the decking. He fell into the comfortable rhythm that you get when you're about a job that you've done more than a little. Trusting your feet to carry, your eyes to watch, and your hands to do the work. And not having to look down at his O2 gauge while he did so, he found himself taking his own sweet time. Glanced down at the cron on his suit's wrist terminal showed that it had already been an hour since he'd stepped from the Kestrel and onto the drifting frigate. Really? An hour? His carry-all wasn't even heavy, and... He'd be almost to the red line on air by now if he'd been on a bird without its own atmosphere. See, then, here came that pinch again. Jesse stopped dead in his tracks. Right dead 
in the middle of the corridor interchange aft damage control and four of engineering because he'd heard over the sound of his own footsteps clumping against the decking the sound of another pair of boots Jesse whipped his head around his body a coiled spring compressed by drilled combat reflex there wasn't anyone there but well that wasn't quite right was it because there had been and Jesse had well no not so much seen as gotten the impression really of something moving it had vanished just around the port side corner just out of view Jesse centered his body weight over the balls of his feet sinking down into a half crouch and he slunk on over toward that corner he steadied his breath thankful to not be trapped inside his helmet and the sound of his nerves and adrenaline sweat heavy in his ears he peeked around the corner The figure was dressed in a damage control coverall, centered armor gel at the bony joints of his extremities, high visibility orange. They were working the controls on a bulkhead door, diagnostic pad in one hand throwing chirps and whistles as the other tapped at keys. Helmeted head bent low in concentration, but maybe, feeling Jesse's eyes over their shoulder, they turned to meet his gaze. The visor was cracked spiderweb of plaid's glass around a black hole. Crackle of a just this side of broken link and then they're gonna take the ship. They turned back, their movements now frantic, and went back to tapping at the keypad until the hatch irised open. Then the lights went out. Jesse pulled the flash off his web belt thumbed the stud to instant sunrise and trains it on the bulkhead where the figure'd been. I wasn't there anymore. Hatch was closed. Console next to a drip sparks, fried. The lights came up. Weak, flickering at first, but then steady and bright. Jesse didn't put his flash back. The weight in his hand was reassuring as he licked his lips. Hello? He tried gamely. Who's there? He sounded like some extra from a vid flick, but he was kind of at a loss for what else to say. It didn't matter. No one answered. The background hum of the Atmos cyclers and the thrum of the birds back up Jenny's just after damage control, but no voices. Jesse rubbed at his eyes with the hand not holding the flash, pinched the bridge of his nose and focused on his breath. Deep in and out. Deep in. Now, just like they'd told him when he saw the company head shrinker after Condoraga, just a flashback. Not real. Just his head full of ghosts after bad action. He was back on a military boat, walking the corridors that looked like they could still be lived in. He'd get back to it. No sense wasting any more time. He checked his cron. 137 minutes since entry. That was more than double what it would have taken him to tread the deck from aft to bow and back again. He stabbed at a key on his wrist console and pulled up ship control. Green lights from a good system handshake, verification that he had indeed been wandering the decks of this old bird for better than two hours. That didn't make any sense, though. But he couldn't go back empty-handed, could he? 
He punched into this bird, got good hard seal, and already wasted two hours walking around like a damn tourist. If he was going to make his banknote for this trip, he'd need to find something to shove into his carry-all. He could go aft and see what might be seen in the engineering section, but with the lights on the blink and his nerves getting hanky, he didn't much relish the thought of crawling in among the workings and prying out anything complicated when every fiber of his being was telling him to keep his head on a swivel while he kept moving. Riding Khan on a combat mech had taught him that mobility was key to staying alive and upright. He'd hit the galley. Packed emirates would be enough to fill the carry-all, turn a profit on this excursion. He remembered the way. Wasn't far. His time on the bannock burn played through his head as he walked, loafing about on a navy bird as they were ferried between patches of live fire hell, trying to keep sharp between periods of acceleration sickness. Then the ambush. Scarlet alarms scrambled through the dark, the rush of venting Atmo. They're going to take the ship, they'd said. Not try, not might. They're going to take the ship. He'd heard that before. He hadn't let him. The galley was lit with standby lights as shipboard batteries drained an empty night hardly enough to see by. As the hatch had irised open, Jesse almost expected to see Krubies at Chow, a bustle of bodies at the serving line and on the benches that filled the space. For a moment, he almost did see it. But as he swept his flash, the shadows inside resolved themselves into furniture, fittings, fixtures, not folks. He crossed the space, his head sweeping in time with his flash. This galley could seat a quarter of the crew complement at a time, some two hundred souls. It was a big space, as shipboard goes. And it took a minute to get far enough from the door for Jesse to turn and make sure it was still there. It was. But that wasn't what had his heart hammering anyhow. The bulkhead had been stenciled as his custom in every galley on every boat that's ever ridden to war with the name of the ship. Jesse swallowed hard. ISS Bannockburn. His ship. That wasn't possible, though. The Bannockburn had been crippled in the clash with those two light cruisers at Condoraga. Corby's had her all but dead in space before they'd turned the tide, and it had taken a whole company of mech cavalry riding across the vasty nothing that separated the ships to do it. They're going to take the ship. The voice was right behind his left ear. Jesse wheeled around, his flashlight held like a club in his left hand. The benches had all been pushed aside, up against the bulkheads, leaving a clear passage to the serving counter. The box was on the counter. Emirates. But no one was there. His wrist console beeped, a shrill chirp that made him jump. He didn't look away from the box of MRATs, which had not been there a moment ago. Instead, raising his wrist to the level of the horizon and looking at it only with his peripheral vision. Yeah, well, but that didn't last long. He couldn't be sure that his peripheral wasn't lying, so he focused both eyes. The Kestrel's airlock. His airlock had cycled. Someone had made entry. When he lowered the console, made to wheel around, he saw his reflection large as life, eyes like pressure gauges struggling at the red line, his face choking, gasping for air, reflected in the spiderwebbed viewplate of a spacer's helmet. No, not a spacer's helmet. That was a Metcalf helmet. 
The feed clips for the neurofeedback cable ports were open, smoking. The HUD flickered across the broken plate, mirror writing scrolling up the bottom left-hand corner, a litany of failing systems and errors falling into that hole in the center of the web. Jesse Ford wanted to scream, but he couldn't. Suit up and hats on, Ford, came the mech jock's voice. They're gonna take the ship. Then there was the sound of tortured metal as the frigate under his feet keened like a hurt living thing and the rush of fleeing ammo. Jesse, even goggling like a rookie facing his first combat drop, unclipped his helmet from where it swung on the belt of his coverall and jammed it on with practiced ease, seals engaging with a hiss as the O2 started flowing. Statuses scrolled across his visor as the Kestrel pinged warnings, requests for confirmation she'd broken away. The airlock and his ride home was wheeling off into the emptiness between the stars, leaving him stranded on a dead frigate with a venting atmosphere and an hour's worth of O2. The mech jock's voice crackled over his helmet link, sad and tired. How come you never listen, Jesse? Belters. You might have noticed that the episode came with a part one attached there at the beginning. Doc Burrell's story, Jesse Ford's story, and done yet. We got him run up a tree, so next time we'll see if he can't find some way to clamber on down. I'll be honest, there's a lot of bad news between him and anything that looks like a happy ending. A lot of memories and ghosts. Thank you so much for listening to Dead Belt. True Tales of the Gasping Frontier. If you enjoyed this production, we would certainly appreciate a rating or review on your podcatcher of choice. If you want more Dead Belt, please feel free to show your support and check out Dead Belt, a solo tabletop role-playing game by A Couple of Drakes. Y'all can find that at acoupleofdrakes.itch.io. If you've gotten it, played it, maybe died in space a time or two, we appreciate ratings and reviews of the game as well. Those things really help us get in front of the eyes and ears of more folks, and that's essential for keeping our content flowing. Dead Belt's growing. So too must we. That's all for now, Belters. Cherry it out.